Welcome to Jeff's World with Jeff Stein, the show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. Because in Jeff's World, we never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Thank you once again uh, for always joining us for this little political soul search that we like to do. That's Erica Ferriston uh, giggling there in the background. Uh, Jeff Hendrick is on hiatus. He's going to focus on his healing and uh, the cancer, big C, and getting rid of lumpy. Yes, and sending much love to Jeff Hendrick. Yeah. Uh, I won't try to make up for his wit or, and or wisdom, and hopefully uh, y'all will still find two out of three ain't bad, as Meatloaf <laughs> <laughs> once said, right? We're keeping his mic warm yes. for him. and. One of the things I wanted to launch right into, because you know me, I like to remind people off the top that things are better than they seem. Because you know, you know, if you watch the news, especially with we're going to talk about Houston, we're going to talk about some other things. Uh, things are pretty intense right now. I think something I noticed as I was getting ready to show, ready for the show this morning, is we're making so much quicker course corrections as a nation. It's still frustrating. We go, oh my gosh, why is this not uh, still a problem? But it is so much better. And then you're gonna we're gonna talk about that in context of the hurricane too. But uh, you know, for instance, we used to kind of let things get bad, bad or worser before we dealt with them, say asbestos or lead paint. You know, we kind of like, well, let's see what happens. And now we have a point where we respond so fast. Like if you're, you're you, on your phone, your smartphone, you have blue light reduction settings. Uh, because we kind of went, wait a minute, this blue light uh, might not be good for your eyes when you're, you know, sleeping and stuff. And so, and then there was a course correction. It's like, well, let's just make it a setting right away. And that was kind of great. And it seems like a simple one. Also, the, I always love when you turn up the the volume on your earbuds on your phone, you get to a certain point and it warns you that it might be bad for your ears. I don't know if it does on an Apple phones, but it does on Android phones. And uh, that's kind of encouraging. And I know you think that's small, it's insignificant, but that's a big deal. Because, you know, 50, 60 years ago, you just let asbestos run around. And when somebody said, this might cause cancer, and they went, ah, you know, ah, we'll see, you know. And there's still things like that. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. There are still topics where we're still working that out. Well, I think, I mean, to jump in on the yep. positive, I think that, you know, it's funny. I live on the west side of Los Angeles. And oftentimes when we have our elected speak, they'll, they'll often say, boy, the, the West Siders are some of the most uh, knowledgeable in in local politics. Right. And that's like could be a good thing to them. It also <laughs> give them a hard time because if they try to say something, we're like, yeah. well, no, actually, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Informed electorate. So, right. It really. And so I feel that, you know, as far as like a people, a population, I can go along with that. We are more informed and you see us on every level from, um, say, a, a business level, a corporate level, like those examples that you gave all the way down to a parent level, right? I mean, I put sunblock on my kids every single day. Right. It's not. It's a, that's a no-brainer now. And I grew up in South Florida, and my mom did not. Right. And it's not because she didn't love me, and I right. 
my boys get so annoyed when I'm applying sunblock and I tell them I'm like, sunblock is love. I'm loving you right now. This is what love looks like. Right. Taking the time to protect your skin right. and your health. But so, so yes. And then, but at the same time, Jeff, I'm looking at our government right now, yeah. which is our Republican controlled government. The federal and government, yeah. They are undoing things that were put in place by the previous administration. For example, one of the the um, things that they've just undone was Obama said that, you know, when you're building infrastructure, you have to put in uh, environmental, you know, it was regulating, taking in consideration like future environmental issues such as flooding, et cetera, da, da, da. They've undone that now. So whereas we're really excited for this infrastructure to come through, they could be building infrastructure that won't withstand floods, that won't withstand these environment because they're now they don't have to because it's not regulated. Yeah. It's going to be that, you know, contractor's choice, I guess. So that to me is concerning because those decisions affect we the people in yeah. mass. Yeah. Well, the concern moves faster. That's the only thing I could argue to that is that, you know, everybody finds out about this real quick and they ask that question. I mean, look at obviously a lot well, of Well, the states, Republicans have already undone that one. Yeah. They, you know, so, yeah but again, even when it's funny. Because he, that's their value system. Uh, these folks, at least. Yeah. I hate to label the Republicans it's, blankly, it's, obviously, they put but the congressional over Republicans. People, yeah. A lot of congressional That is their value system. And you see it played out. You know, budget is a set of values. Yep, it is. It is a moral document, a budget. And we're going to be jumping into one as soon as uh, Congress comes back to session after Labor Day next week. They will be back (laughs) and they're going to start laying things out and we're going to find out what their moral priorities are. And I think you just illustrated one perfectly. And I know you hate it when I go on these tangents because you're introducing the show. (laughs) But... You know, here we are, and you can clear. I think uh, Trump went to Missouri last night Mm -hmm. to give a speech on how the corporate taxes should be taken from 30% to 15%, which, by the way, they're 30% on paper, but with all the loopholes, nobody, somewhere around 12 to 18, they say, pays that. Yeah, nobody pays that. And take it down to 15%, because in the middle of this, uh, you know, thousand year flooding crisis he is out talking about lowering taxes because that's where his yeah. moral compass is there you go so we're going to jump into that and a bunch of other things today on jeff's world the good the bad and the beautiful lessons and stories from houston and hurricane harvey including some comedy amidst tragedy from houstonians they haven't lost their sense of humor the latest on Trump and Russia, but with an appeal from Jimmy Kimmel that will make you love your local Trump supporter, hopefully. Uh, some words from Diane Feinstein that stunned liberals. We'll discuss whataboutism, another term <laughs> very much worth for our self-reflection. And we'll end with some voices of the younger generation that will restore your faith in our better future and our better angels. That's coming up. This is Jeff's World. Thanks for stopping by Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein. This is the Political Soul Search Show. I'm along here with uh, Erica Ferriston. And uh, this is a uh, random gospel singing that uh, just occurred in a uh, shelter in Houston. (laughs) 
I don't know. I'm a sucker for it. I love it. Love it. I love when people just, just start singing about the Lord. Just singing their piece. Um, and, of course, it just broke out. And then, you know, everyone grabs their cell phone and starts taping it. You know, and it's uh, some black folks, some white folks, a little, little of everything. Uh, although, as uh, no surprise, and I don't mean to make it about this, uh, the folks uh, affected by the, this hurricane are disproportionately those of, 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 of color, but even more specifically of lesser means. You know, it's poverty first. It's true. You know, and, uh, you know, because if you can afford it, you go to higher ground. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's just keep it simple. You know, yeah. as you mentioned that, um, Naomi Klein was interviewed by Amy Goodman on Democracy Now! Mm. And um, I'd love to just read a piece of, of what Naomi Klein Bring had it. to say. So um, she says... So nobody is saying that climate change caused the storm. What we're talking about are what are the superchargers of this storm. The accelerants that took what would have been a disaster in any situation and turned it into a human catastrophe. One of those charges is climate change. Another is the presence of this highly unregulated toxic industry that is so unevenly distributed with co- communities of color being at the greatest risk. So they're t- she's talking about the refinery cities, you know, um, where you have these refineries and they're in poor neighborhoods. And right now... And floodplains of Houston. And floodplains <laughs> of Houston. Like, ah! and, Bayous, I should say, not planes. Yeah, and they're spewing these toxic chemicals because some of them have been flooded. Which coincidentally, back in April, some of these same refineries uh, were fined in the tens of $20 million mm. for spewing toxic, you know, uh, fumes. And so now the state has shut off their air quality control monitors. The state's monitors. The state's monitors. And at the same time, have given permission to these refineries to go ahead and release toxic chemicals. So they're going to be releasing toxic chemicals while the monitors are shut off so that there won't be any readings of how many pounds of toxic chemicals they're releasing so that then they can't get fined because there won't be any track record of it. But um, but yeah, but so Naomi is talking about, so she goes on and she says, another accelerant is what you were talking about, Jeff, is poverty. And she says, if you don't have the ability to organize your own evacuation because you don't have a car, then you're stuck. Another one is racism. Um, if you're an immigrant and you want to get to dry land, but you're hearing that the border checkpoints are staying open everywhere where the highway isn't flooded, um, which that's happening. Yeah. Texas is doing that. Um, then you are less likely to seek safety. So, you know, the disaster would have happened, but this is what takes it to an absolute tragedy. And so, yeah, I just I thought that was, you know, a very <laughs> relevant uh, quote to, yeah. to talk about. Yeah. And that's, again, a big part of the story. Uh, and. So the lesson continues. And, you know, you know another lesson that continues about this um, that Naomi Klein touches on is this is the time to talk about climate change and the effects. Yeah. 
This is the time to talk about racism. This is the time to talk about economic inequality. Because as she just pointed out, they are related. But what you will often see our media doing is, um, we don't want to talk about climate change because we don't want to take advantage of this situation. It's not polite. But it's the opposite of that. (laughs) It is because... What she says, you know, the job of journalism is to provide key facts and context for people to understand their world. And without these contexts, um, you know, particularly without a discussion of climate change, without hearing from scientists like James Hansen, um, you know, she says, then it appears as if this is just simply an act of God that came from nowhere and uh, there's nothing that can be done about it. Uh, in the future. And so there's no reason to discuss emissions or regulating chemical factories or anything like that. And so again, this whole, well, we should be polite is just another way to enable corporations to remain unregulated and to cause, um, you know, environmental racism and injustices to all of us. I remember when the Republican Party used to be the party of conservation as well as conservatism. So how old were you? I know, right? Like four. Um, again, I come from a family of you know the idea of national yes, parks. Teddy, Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt, Republican and national parks and everything, right? Yes. Um, so it's coming back around. It, it became weirdly tribal, of course, and then it became anything that was on the left had to be a bad idea, including saving the planet, which is just bizarre to me. I don't get it. I think saving the planet is pretty dang important. And It uh, seems like it would be very aligned <laughs> with Christian values. If you I believe that this so. is God's it creation, is. It is. It is. then you would believe that being good stewards of what God has created would, would be your value system. And I do see, it's funny, going back earlier to what you said about you were looking at, you know, how you think things are improving quicker than ever before. And I said, well, I do think the, you know, people as a society are learning quicker. But on that note, I do see the the, the people, the Republican people, I'm thinking in particular of my, I guess you would call him a cousin-in-law, <laughs> but, um, you know, he's a, he's a Republican and, you know, he was, t- he's very much into conservation. He's a, he's a hunter and he's yeah. a, what do you call it? Like a woodsman, uh, like they go camping, sportsman. And a sportsman, yes. and fisherman, and, yes. but also, you know, uh, hiking and yep. all of those wonderful things. And, you know, he tells me, you know, that he, on the local level, he's been doing a lot of work with Democrats. And so I do think that the people who share common values, such as conservation, are finding like are crossing political aisles and I've just been, yeah. aligning with people who share those values. And you'll find Republicans, Democrats, Greens. Yeah, I don't know about libertarians, but whatever. I've been impressed as I scan the right wing sites as well as the left wing sites. I've been impressed with the number of uh, mentions of, for instance, uh, the Trump administration's intent to open up national monuments yes. for use in for things that could obviously damage them, various industries that could damage them. And there's been an outcry on the right as well. And so I'm quite impressed with that. I think I think we're starting to you know, wake up there. And a thing like this Hurricane Harvey I'm watching the coverage, even on Fox News, and they have a expert a professor from Houston who sits around all day and studies the climate here. And he was saying how, you know, first of all, we're a flood place. We're the one, one of the top five, five flooding cities in the world. 
pretty amazing. And he was talking about the dam. Remember how they had to let the water out of the dam and and that flooded a whole neighborhood. And it was one of these terrible decisions they just had to make that floods one neighborhood, but in order to save the dam. Well, they said, he kind of subtly said, yeah, that dam has been, is one of the top three uh, uh, most un Unupdated. He had a better term for it, obviously, than I did. Uh, dam outdated. In, outdated. Thank you. In in the uh, in the country, it was one of those dams that everybody knew it needs to be fixed, and no one's doing it. And so it is being drawn to attention. And of course, people are floating in water, so they're uh, particularly aware of it at this time. And there were other crazy things that were coming out of this. One, this is the second what they call a five hundred year storm. It's actually the third five hundred year flood to hit Houston, Houston. <laughs> in the last three years. I know. And they're saying that by the time this is over, it may be categorized as a once in a thousand year flood. Yeah. They had, you've probably heard this, and the National Weather Service had to add another color to their rainfall map because they needed light purple, which denotes in, uh, rainfall greater than 30 inches in the last hour or whatever it was. I mean, of course, it's by time. But they only had one that went up to 15 inches, you know, dark purple. They had to make light purple to cover more rainfall. And if that doesn't make you think things are different, uh, here's the quote from Scientific America, I think, steps up. And this is a fascinating part of what they're, why this is a thousand-year storm, as Erica puts it. Harvey has dropped so much water over such a large area of southeastern Texas that the storm is pulling that water back up into itself and dumping it back again as more rain. The flood area is so far and wide that it is acting like part of an ocean. Because that's, again, people who know hurricane regions, I go to Louisiana every year, go to New Orleans. If you know the area, they know all this sort of thing. The Gulf, of course, now is considered... is. It is, I think, either the or the second or third warmest water body on the planet. And that means as soon as a hurricane hits it, it goes turbocharge. And now hurricanes are not only coming on the shore and dumping more water than we've ever seen ever, ever, ever. They're pulling the water back up because of the saturation level. And they're bumping like it is now. It's headed towards Louisiana as we speak because it bumps back into the ocean again and then gets turbocharged again. It gets fired back up again because there's so much energy there and then comes back again. And so this is an issue that Again, you could pretend like uh, President Obama used to always say reality. My mom says reality has a way of catching up with you. This is it. This is our reality. And at the same time that this is happening in Houston, they say take, you know, the numbers in Houston, rainfall, death toll, multiply it by 100. And that's what's happening right now in Bangladesh. Right. India. Yeah. I mean, people are over there just... They are just dying on the side of the road. Yeah, I, you know, it's great that you pointed out because I do. I read the international pages too, and 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 you, Simon, compare. We we go, oh my gosh, five people died, six, seventeen people died, eight We're people up to died. We're over thirty now yeah. in Houston, and in other places, when an event like this happens, it's three hundred. It's 400. It's 1,000. The number is are vastly different, let alone the... Uh... And part of the reason for that is because other countries don't have regulations. Yeah. And unfortunately, now we're seeing that happen here to the United States. So I grew up in South Florida. We're going to call them standards and protections. Yes. Stan, thank you for apparently, that. Apparently, uh, conservatives hate the word regulation. So standards, you know, we have standards and protections. protections and, and standards and protections. And so I grew up in Florida 
And um, back in the 70s, the big hurricane to hit then was Hurricane David, which at this point would just be a tropical storm. And I was right. I was little. I think it was about five. And I was pretty scared because, you know, we were taping up the windows. You get the masking right. tape and you put the X's right. on your windows. And I think I must have heard a news report because, you know, often in Florida, those hurricanes usually hit like Haiti first or Cuba. And you would hear... Uh, anyway, I must have heard a news report of just devastation and damage. And I said to my mom, is that what's going to happen to us here? And she said, no, because she said, we have rules in our country that when we build houses and buildings, they have to be made, you know, strong enough because we live in South Florida to withstand you know, certain winds. And, and she said in those places, they don't. So their buildings fall more easily and then that's what's killing people and so she's giving me facts but it very much comforted me at the time but that's what consumer protections and standards are we're having a debate right now in the city of los angeles mayor garcetti and others about we have a housing crisis you may have heard and one of the debates is should we you know lighten up on the earthquake protections and to a t Unanimously, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, are we not going to compromise that to save a bunch of money to temporarily deal with a problem that's going to be way bigger down the road? Yeah. Right? We'll, we'll go from a housing crisis to a death crisis. Right. It crushed, crushed people instead of homeless right. people. So is that that's you prefer. So coming up, more on this Houston uh, response and Hurricane Harvey, uh, things like there are a bunch of pets as being saved, but there was one particular critter that's being saved by volunteers. It's a very heartwarming story. Also, how the media is covering it. It's not always going well. And the debate on the federal level for response and federal funding. That is coming up. This is Jeff's World. Keep your head down as you push through the days. It's hard to find comfort in a restless haze. This is Jeff's World, the show where we feel as our way to a saner future, politically speaking, socially speaking. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Fairston talking about uh, Houston and Harvey and all the bad puns of Houston. Houston, we have a problem. How many times has that been said, right, in the last few days? Wow. It's like, can't get through that. Uh, the, uh, the story I teased a moment ago is so interesting. They've been obviously trying to people try to save pets, and it's always great. You see these stories if you've been watching any of the coverage. There's these great stories of people carrying pets out. But one that was interesting to me is bats. They've been saving bats. The Wa Bridge, W A U G H, if you're local to Houston, you know what that is, is apparently home to about 250,000 Mexican free tailed bats. I'm surprised they let them in the country if they're Mexican. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. <laughs> Terrible joke. Yeah. <laughs> Border patrols out there, guys. Be careful. Uh, they're, well, they're, those Mexican bats are eating the bugs that Americans won't aren't willing to. Uh, American oh. bats aren't willing to. Um, sorry, terrible jokes. No, I thought that was kind of funny. Okay. Okay. So anyway, two fifty thousand Mexican free-tailed bats, uh, and they live under this one bridge. Two fifty thousand. I, I could just imagine it's like we have like that swallows here and stuff, but I've never done <laughs> to go under. I told my wife that story. She'll like never go to that bridge oh. ever again. So as you can imagine, the waters rose, and now they're kind of drowning, and they can't swim. Bats can't swim. They just drown, apparently. And so at least a dozen people— Neither can the White Walkers in Game of Thrones. No. They cannot you. swim. There you go. Nice reference. Okay. Game of Thrones. Boy. Woo-hoo. Yeah, I know. I've decided my son and I are going to binge watch it next summer and just, you know, just sit down and just— 
grind it out. Yes. As soon as I, everybody I tell them, you can tell me this, we're digressing again. Every time I tell somebody that, they go, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. I know. Okay, it you is that way. You are so lucky. <laughs> to be able to just sit and watch it. Well, to like not have, ex- to have this waiting in front of you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that seems to be universal. Yes, for <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. All right. Okay, so back to bats. A, a dozen, thank you. A dozen people showed up. And started catching bats. They used umbrellas, tennis rackets, broken tree branches, and they were just pulling out. I saw some of the video here. And they're just pulling out bats from the rising water. And then, of course, social media kicks in. People start mentioning it. And more volunteers show up. And they start bringing gloves and nets and plastic containers to to collect the bats and then transport them to a better place. There's this quote from a, a volunteer, Michelle Camara, said, I absolutely love bats. They're so intelligent. They appreciate what you do for them. I don't know where she gets gets all that. I don't know what that means. Well, if they're so intelligent, why are they hanging (laughs) under a bridge with rising waters? (laughs) I mean, vacate, but okay. But I thought that was just a nice story. Yeah, no, but also bats. So you mentioned one of the things, they are instrumental. They'll eat, you know, thousands of mosquitoes and crop-destroying insects in just one evening. Yes, um, they help pollinate. Did yeah. you know that? I didn't know they were part pollinators too. Oh, that's yeah, cool. they do that. Um, and then it says that um, their their poop is some <laughs> guano. Of the, yeah, is some of the best <laughs> plant fertilizer. Yes, bat guano, very good because it's I, a high protein diet. Because <laughs> well, they eat lots of bugs. There you, exactly. So apparently I think it's protein-rich. And they bugs. also eat fruits and such and whatever. So between the two, it's a nice, uh, I guess. And I guess they have some, you know, they're being studied. Uh, like they have some substances like to see if uh, we can duplicate them to assist blind people. Whoa. What? Yeah, because they can see at night. Right. and so Seeing eye bats? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So well, there's so they, why Michelle Camara thinks they're so intelligent and wonderful. Yeah, apparently, there you go. There's they're a fan for everything to the people. Yeah. Anyway, but I again, these stories warm my heart because you just see that people just jump into action and go, "Well, gosh, the bats are drowning. Let's go!" And they just start helping. You know, and this is yeah. the cool thing about uh, disaster. It shows us who we are. <laughs> Sometimes not so pretty. Let's do a little of the not so pretty parts. Uh, one of the things is the. The, the way the media has responded to it, I think they're trying to do the best they can. I think you give th- people so much more credit than they deserve. Well, but... maybe so. <laughs> That's I don't why. think, that, I mean, I don't know. It's like, how do you try to report a story the best you can? I don't know. Let me play you this okay. and, we'll, and we'll listen okay. afterwards. No, because I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think this might help us answer okay. it. Okay, this is interesting. This is a CNN Rosa, reporter. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges for the people there? And I see you're standing with some uh, some folks there right now, including a little girl who I guess uh, has to deal with all of this as well. What can you tell us? Let me introduce you to Danielle here. Danielle, you just arrived. Share with us how you were rescued. At a shelter. Some guys had uh, called our phone and asked us where we were. We was waiting for police for like 36 hours and they never came. And we was waiting at the home. We did the white flags and everything and nobody came. But then somebody had called the phone after we decided to leave the house and we had walked to the gas station with the kids. And then they had called and came and picked us up. But we had been there like five days with, with no food and no lights and nobody came like nobody came now you're with your children we've heard of stories of, of mothers trying to save their children from the rushing waters can you ex- tell us how that was four feet of water to go get them food on the first day yeah that's a lot of 
Michelle sitting here and y'all trying to interview people during their worst times. Like, that's not the smartest thing to do. Like, people are really breaking down and y'all sitting here with cameras and microphones trying to ask us what the fuck is wrong with us. I'm so and sorry. And you really trying to understand with the microphone still in my face. With me shivering cold, with my kids wet, and you still putting a microphone sorry. in my face. So, Russell Flores, uh, it sounds like you've got a very upset family there. Uh, we're going to take a break uh, from that, uh, and we'll get back to you later on. Uh, Russ Flores in Houston for us. Thank you. So here's, first of all, I am just. I know, right? I know. It's hard not to just teary-eyed on this lady. Just I'm walking through four feet of water to just get her first meal, you know, with the I kids. Mean, they're kids. They're cold. They're tired. They're wet. They're hungry. They're scared. Yeah. And. I do appreciate the media going directly to the people and interviewing them so that everyone has a firsthand look. And I do think that's important. But I think that this woman raises a good point. And here's what the difference would look like. Yeah. Asking her permission first. Yeah. yeah. Hi. I'm so-and-so. We're here. This is, you know, we want... You know, we want people to see what's really happening. Would you be okay if I asked you some questions on camera? Yeah. You know, that's showing like, you know, respect rather than your uh, freak show animal in the zoo that this makes a great story. Yeah. And there has been, you know, you've probably watched coverage too, uh, these amazing moments where the CNN reporter's floating along in a boat and then somebody on a on a roof's going to help and they go, oh, okay, so we're going to go help those folks. And, and they right. go do it <laughs> with the cameraman and, uh, you know, is, and they and just we, go and help them. Right, rather than floating by <laughs> How does it and go, feel well, on your roof? somebody <laughs> right, right, who right. needs help. I know we have a boat, but we're doing a show right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think the humanity does kick in a lot, uh, but and you're you right. you can tell, I could tell, I didn't see this footage, but I could hear from the reporter. She, I think when she was saying she was sorry, I think she was really sorry. And I think that this was a learning experience for her. Sure. Now, I don't know if she got, you know, okay, well, maybe we should ask permission. I hope that she got that lesson and maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But you could you could tell that she was like, oh, wow, I didn't. Consider this, think of this, and now I will. Yeah, these Twitter responses. This woman is at her breaking point, as are many in that area. Let's do all we can to help in any way we can. Woman rescued from flood, lost it on CNN, cursed them for interviewing her in crisis. I often wonder why more people don't react like that. Uh, To the woman who went in in on that CNN reporter, you are my new hero. (laughs) No kidding. You don't want a microphone shoved in your face? So, (laughs) wow, this woman on CNN just unleashed all of her pain and frustration. And it was heartbreaking. I think this is also so for people who don't know what white privilege is, <laughs> and that would be white people. This is this is an analogous situation. So of, of what that is. So here you have a privileged woman who is well fed, dry, and has like no awareness and concept of you know if this reporter has kids her kids are probably in school and safe and you know and here's this woman completely suffering they're both standing in the same place but two the two are having completely different experiences and that's like you know an analogy of what white privilege is 
And again, I I don't take away from what you're saying. I'm not saying the that this part. is an example no, yeah. of it, but if you don't know what that is or what that, th- look at this example and apply the analogy. Yeah, it's certainly privity, privilege of socioeconomic status, which obviously is again there's an association with <laughs> with people of color and tend to be more you know in more poverty. But that doesn't like even when we watched Katrina back in the day. Uh, obviously that was very hard to watch. There's a lot of black folks who were, were stranded, but there was a lot of white folks who had the same situation. They were in these bayous. It's like, we ain't got nowhere to go. And if they don't come save us, we're done. No, so, right. You know. I think I'm being misunderstood. No, this I, I is not an example just, of white privilege, right. but I'm saying, but you can grab, you know, analogies aren't meant to be perfect, right? right. <laughs> but, um, but you can see this experience and then try to, you know, color it like if you are, you know, the difference between you getting stopped by an officer yes. and somebody of color getting stopped by an officer. It's right. it's the same situation and one is being treated vastly different. This is, you know, not white privilege, but it's an analogy. Yeah. And on the theme of that I started the show with of 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 how you know we're learning faster because again now we've been through some of these hurricanes and now we're starting to you know uh, talk about them differently. Well, yeah, and we've had three five hundred hit the same geez. location in the past three years, three years. And, and you know part of climate change makes the atmosphere warmer. Yeah, which means more energy. More energy means more energy. Period. Everything's going to be more, more dramatic. moisture in the yeah. air. I mean. Yeah. This accelerates, you know, what Naomi Klein was stating, uh, was stating a natural disaster into a human catastrophe. Right. So there have been some other moments that uh, reporters were caught kind of being insensitive and they immediately got their course corrected. One was uh, ABC chief national correspondent Tom Yamas was he was tweeting about looting. He sent this picture and he put the, the, the tweet on it was we informed police of the looting and Coast Guard is flying overhead. Multiple officers now on the scene. And everybody went, I'm sorry, what? Looting? And everybody just did that reaction because we learned from Katrina Especially the difference between, like, remember it was black folks are looting and white folks are getting supplies. Right. right? And so now it became, well, what is this? What is looting? What is not looting? And immediately everybody jumped on him and says, wait a second. These these folks are starving. Color aside, that's not looting anymore. And so he had to update his tweet and immediately followed it with, let me be clear. Let me clear this up. We were with police who had discovered a dead body and mentioned we saw people with faces covered going into a supermarket nearby. So he was trying to like explain why they called it looting with people with covered faces going into a supermarket. And I don't know if that's a quite a cover, but there's this, okay, we're going to evolve this quickly. We've got to look at this right away and see that now, come on, come on, looting? Really? So... Yeah, surviving is yeah. What, what that is. And the other one the media did, which you can decide for yourself, because this is one of the ones that this story has been fun to watch on the left wing pages and the right wing pages. And that is the story of Joel Osteen and uh, Lakeland Church. You're probably familiar with this in Houston. He's got a mega church. He's got you know serious channels. He's if you don't know who Joel, Joel Osteen, O-S-T-E-E-N, you can look it up. Uh, I've always been actually pretty impressed with him in terms of televangelists he's had a for me he's been much more focused on the love side of religion than most i think so from what i've seen i don't follow him every day but uh i've heard a lot of great things come out of his mouth now, now he has an opportunity to demonstrate his he talk. did he's got a mega church that holds sixteen thousand people in houston and here's where the media jumped in and said uh i'm sorry your church is closed he didn't they he, whatever, didn't open their church to, you know, for, as a shelter. 
and then got a backlash. And then they tried to make a statement uh, that's included in this news clip. So I'll just give you the whole thing. But uh, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. How's that? Pastor Osteen, it, it sounds like you think uh, the criticism itself uh, is unfounded and, and just a bit silly. But but you guys did put out a statement on Monday. And in that statement, you, you said in part, we are prepared to shelter people once the cities and county shelters reach capacity. I think a lot of folks probably read that or heard that and, and thought, why wouldn't the House of, of Worship open its doors immediately, initially, even perhaps before some of the other shelters? We're all about helping people. This is what the, the church is and our church is all about. So I think it's, I don't know if it's unfounded, but I think if people were here, they'd realize there were safety issues. This building had flooded before. And so we were just being precautious. But the main thing is the city didn't ask us to become a shelter then. <laughs> the city didn't ask us. To become a shelter then. So basically, until it, he, until. They were shamed into. That's exactly where I was going to go. He was shamed shamed into opening his church as a shelter shamed into it and i i would not be interested in listening to what this man has to preach because to me his words ring hollow the other day i think i was listening to npr and forgive me if i get this wrong but there's any way somehow this guy hears this but there's some guy named mattress matt we're coming to that yeah, I got that clip too. You're going to love it. So you've got that clip. Yes, so I, I do. Will There's the other pause. side of the story. Yeah, pause in that story. She just gave us the best tease either because we're going to show the, the the way you should do it. But on the Osteen, as we wrap that up, So says, what's your excuse for this guy? Because <laughs> I feel like you're going to say, well, I give him credit for finally <laughs> coming to the right conclusion. And it's like, I get that you do that. And that's probably a more generous place to operate from than where I'm like, yeah, you were ashamed into that. You had no choice because now the the city, I guess, had officially asked you to, and it would have been an official, like, yeah, no. I'm going to maybe surprise you. He blew it, period. Uh, here's some more quotes from him. Yeah, I'm sure we would have, have done something differently, Osteen said, adding, the fact is, I don't know that we wouldn't we would have opened any sooner because, again, there were safety issues. It's easy to say, wow, there's that building. They're not using it. But we don't have volunteers. We don't have staff that could get here. We're all about helping the city wherever we, whenever we could. If they would have asked us to become a shelter early on, we would have prepared for it. And I say, dude, uh, you want to unload? Okay. No, you keep going. Okay. It's very simple because it's like the old thing. Well, what could you have done? And if he was living up to his creed, which I think he does mostly, but he didn't today. He didn't in, during this storm because he looked at it like, wow, the, you know, Houston floods all the time and it, sometimes it doesn't work. You know, I don't know what his excuse was. But to me, you take your millions of dollars, you're going to spend all of them, but you're making millions of dollars. And that's not the point, obviously. But the point is, he is, that is a multi-millionaire. And it's like, great. So take a tiny portion of that. It's not like a, Houston, a hurricane is not an earthquake. You see it coming. Mm-hmm. It was coming. I would, I don't know, it's just me. If I ran a church, and like most of the churches, because I did, I started reading, well, what did other churches do? They got prepared in advance. They said, how do we deliver food to folks? How do we prepare shelters? How do we help shelters that will be open? How do we do this? And he had none of that at the ready because he wasn't doing any of that. That's right. And so... If I was the reporter interviewing him, 
I would have followed up with what were the safety issues? Yeah. Just that simple question. And then the other thing is when he says we didn't have the volunteers and I would have said most churches run on volunteers. So are you making a statement that your congregation specifically yeah, does no not volunteer <laughs> during natural disasters? Because most congregations, you put you start calling the first person on that phone tree list yeah. And the calls go out and the volunteers show up. So you're making then a very specific statement about your congregation who I guess are are not the volunteer type, the 1,600 people who attend this church. So my sunshine side says, let's hope he looks inward. Let's hope he goes back to his good book and he asks himself, what could I have done that would have been more the path of Jesus? Here's <laughs> why I don't think... It. Here's where here's why I don't think that happens with this particular guy. Right. Excuses, excuses, pretty transparent, they're lame. But here's what it looks like if he truly was repentant. Right. It would look like something like this. You're absolutely right. Yes. We should have opened it up immediately. Here's what we're doing now. They are open. Come on in. I have donated personally. You know, one of, you know, just one of my multi millions of dollars. We are setting up this, this, that, and that. And you get on board and you go overboard to help. I see. His gut reaction was excuses. Nothing. Now, the first reaction was excuses. That's no, his big mistake. No, but I still don't see any. Well, he, he deliberately did an interview standing in front of a giant a pile of, of, uh, of supplies for people to try to now demonstrate that he's involved in getting people. Uh, in, the, in the rescue effort. Uh, but again, this is a fascinating story because on when I go to Fox News and Breitbart and Drudge Report or whatever, you're seeing these articles about how poor Joe, Joel Osteen is being attacked uh, for not responding fast enough when, of course, the other side is saying, where were you, dude? So there's the debate. Look inward. What would you do? What would you do? If you had a mega church with mega money and you lived in Houston, the most flooded place in America... What would you do? And you know what? I would say if you're a church going person in Houston, let this show you what this church is about and go to one of those churches that open up their doors immediately. Fill those congregations. Go to go to those churches who walked their talk. Right. So in contrast to that, the story that Erica just alluded to is the uh, guy named Jim McInvale who owns a mattress furniture store in Houston, has for years. He's known as Mattress Mac. He's one of these guys who does cheesy commercials, right? And so he whips out at the last minute. He, you, you can't see the video. I'm going to play the audio. But he's just looking off, off a piece of paper where he's scrawled in handwriting some words to say into the camera to put out this message for other people to see and hear. Hi, Jim McAvell here at Gallery Furniture. One of all the residents that have been affected by this horrible uh, hurricane and flood know that all of us at Gallery Furniture are praying for you, praying for your family, your home, and of course your community. With God's grace, we'll all get through this better and stronger than ever because that's who we are. We are Texans. My daughter's favorite saying is, if not for my struggle, I would not have known my strength. Well, we can take strength from the fact that for a couple hundred years, Texans have banded together and helped each other. And we will help each other now get through this crisis of flooding and hurricane. Because at Gallery Furniture, we believe in you, the great citizens of Texas. If you need a place to stay, we're opening up the Gallery Furniture North Freeway location. 
on I-45 between Tidwell and Parker and the Gallery Furniture Grand Parkway location on Highway 99 at Bel Air. We're opening them up so you can stay. We've got lots of beds, we've got lots of food, we've got water, and we can even bring your animals. So we welcome you. If you need a place to stay, we're opening up both buildings as shelters during this horrible time. My cell phone is 281-844-1963. If you need something, call and we'll try to get you whatever help we can. God bless you. God bless Texas. We will get through this because if not for our struggles, we would not have known our strength. We're strong as Texans. We'll get through this together and help each other. Thank you. I mean, that should have been Joel Osteen's response. God well, bless you. This guy We're all this together. was helping out the first at the very beginning. Like, yeah. so what you didn't hear, another thing that he did is he called all his trucks. Yes. Emptied them of the mattresses, and they were picking up people in yeah. these trucks. And he does say it on this tape. They were picking up their pets, too, which yeah. was so sweet. And they were bringing them to shelter. Ground. And they he was like, we've got food now. I don't know how many mattresses this guy is selling, but I doubt he's got the kind of, you know, wealth that a Joel Joel Osteen has. But the generosity of this man, I mean, Mattress Mac is my hero. Yep, Mattress Mac. (laughs) I wish, my husband just bought us a mattress um, while I was away, but shoot, if he hadn't already bought us one. Like ordered from him in Texas and sent it out. I'd be like, I don't care what the shipping costs, send it to Los Angeles, I need a Mattress Mac. Mattress. I love but, it. But um, I, you know, he gives, you know, religion a good name, this guy. He gives human beings a good name. But this is, those are, you know, beautiful values that he clearly is living in. Let me tell you, that's, you know, that's coming out of his pocket, that food yep. and that gas. and. Yep. He's probably still paying those drivers unless they're they're volunteering. I don't know what the situation is. And he but. didn't think twice about it. And here's a little fun fact. Twelve years ago during Hurricane Katrina, he did the same yeah. thing. He opened up his stores for anybody who needed shelter. Yeah. And you can see these pictures online of his stores. They've got people sleeping on like his mattresses and things in the store. They're kind of lounge around. There's even some National Guard folks that are using the part of it to take a break, you know, and it was just like that's the difference. So please let the Joe Osteens just don't even give it your energy. And don't, this don't is get where mad. you focus here. And yeah. so Jeff World listeners, if you're if you're, you know, hearing this, tweet some love to Mattress Mac. Right. That's social media. You know, it really does help and build. And we we want to re I hope this guy yeah. just gets rewarded yeah. for his good deeds and Yeah. Yeah. So coming up, a couple more things on Houston. I want to talk about the federal response and some hypocrisy amongst some Texas uh, Republicans who were not quite so kind when the disaster wasn't in their house, uh, but are learning a good lesson. And uh, the Houstonians haven't lost their sense of humor. They got a little humor that came out of the, the, the Hurricane Harvey. That's all coming up. This is Jeff's World, your political soul search show. Governor, the phase after the rescue is the recovery, and and a lot of that includes federal aid. There was some controversy around how long it took for the bill to be delivered uh, in Sandy. Do you expect uh, it to be different in Texas in light of the priority this president has put on it? Well, I hope so. I mean, I really do. What can they learn from you? What they can learn is don't wait 66 days to deliver aid to people who are suffering and dying. Um, And don't play politics with this. Don't connect it to anything else. 
Um, this idea of connecting it to offsets or connecting or the to debt other things ceiling. or the debt ceiling, do not do it. Um, because what will happen is then politics will in infect this. And you look at what you saw on the screen this morning. There's nothing Republican or Democrat about the, the water that's in that Port Arthur recovery center. So in order to get money, they ha Congress has to pass a bill for Harvey. Yep, they do. And, and they should do it quickly. Um, the fact is that we know, after Katrina and Sandy, um, we know the parameters of the kind of aid that will be necessary and how it will be used. We came up with a lot of new programs to be able to help people, businesses, and families recover. Think about this. The recovery time for Sandy has been half the amount of time it took for Katrina. We learned a lot from the mistakes of Katrina, and they can learn from some of the mistakes we made in Sandy and make this even better. 36 senators actually voted against the 2013 Sandy bill. They said it was loaded with pork. They said we need offsets of spending. Do you anticipate those I mean, was there was there pork? And no, you anticipate it, that that'll be a problem this time? Listen, it was completely ridiculous. Senator Cruz's, uh, you know, accusation that two thirds of the Sandy bill was pork is absolutely ridiculous. Washington posted a fact check on it yesterday that is consistent with what I remember at the time. There was a Senate bill that had some of that, and it all got stripped out because all of us, including the people in New Jersey, objected to it. Um, they were playing politics with it. Okay, they were all getting ready to do what they wanted to do for 2016. Um, and make themselves seem like the most conservative person. The fact of the matter is, mm -hmm. there's not a liberal conservative way to deal with people who are drowning and dying. We need to get aid to them. That's what the federal government is there for. And I hope they don't wait. Remember, in Hurricane Andrew, they acted after 10 days. In Hurricane Katrina, they acted after six days. They passed Sand the bill, you're saying, right. 10 days. Sandy, 66 days. Unacceptable. Um, and I don't think that Texas and Louisiana should be treated the same way. I'm urging the, right. the members of Congress in New Jersey don't hold a grudge. Let's <laughs> right. go forward. Let's uh, vote yes. And, and by the way, Senator Schumer brought that up yesterday. He's like, listen, you gave New York a hard time. We're not going to give Texas a hard time. That's Chris Christie on Fox News. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferris, and this is Jeff's World, the place where the political soul surge happens. And fascinating few things. i got to say a couple quick things about that. A great day in Fox Newsing. Uh, very impressive. I thought they mentioned the, the, both the truth that Chuck Schumer is not doing that. Chuck Schumer from New York and New Jersey in this area who did the Sandy Relief and were on the receiving end of being hosed by Ted Cruz, who literally said we should cut Medicaid to pay for Sandy Relief. Let's take away health care from poor people to help pay for poor people in trouble. It, it, it's talk about Robin Peter to pay Paul, right? And so then they mentioned it. The Fox News, that's Fox and Friends with Chris Christie. And, and Cruz heralds himself as a great Christian. And that, you know, somebody like Chuck Schumer is a New York liberal. Liberal Jew. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, th th look at who who's walking in, you know, what I would think are, you know, American values. Right. right? It's Chuck Schumer. Yeah. And in this moment, Chris Christie. This is why Chris Christie got elected reelected, you know, when he was, because that's the kind of guy he used to be before he got a 12% approval rating and but was so like, corrupt and dirty. I, but I call on the Republicans to really look at this, yeah. who, who just, who say, well, you know, our guy is bad, but never, ever a Democrat anywhere because yeah. their values don't match ours. Well, well, what values of ours that don't match yeah. yours? Helping the poor? Yeah. Helping those in need? Whereas when... The Republican Ted Cruz took it, tried to take advantage of a situation, get tax cuts for the rich on the backs of, you know, the victims of Sandy Hook. And then in the end, voted to do nothing for those people. Yeah. And then, of course, when it's his constituents, because they're the ones who can vote him 
out of office. And if he doesn't do anything for him, his job is threatened. You know, he's going to want aid. And here are, you know, all of these Democrats and Republicans who uh, needed aid for Sandy Hook and were were Sandy. Sandy Hook was the shooting. Right. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Sorry. That's right. That's fine. Uh, but yeah. needed aid for uh, Hurricane Sandy, and then um, you know almost didn't get it because of people like Cruz. And here they are, the first ones in line. Yeah. We're not going to have the people suffer that. You know who else was first in line to offer aid to the Texans? Mm. Mexico. I know, right? Isn't this amazing? How- Poorly and disgustingly has our president treated the president of Mexico. The people. How poorly are the Republicans in charge treating the people of Mexico right now? And then yet the Mexican people, the president of Mexico are like, you know what? We'll help Texans. We'll help the people there, whether they're, you know, we'll help. And, at the same time, the state of Texas is letting, you know, everyone know, hey, our border patrols are open and they're going to snag you as as you go to get help. Now, you do have I've seen some uh, the chief police of Houston, like trying to say, like, nope, if you need help, get help. Yeah. We're going to help you. Yeah. But then you have the the ice from from the uh, feds, from uh, Trump saying, uh-uh, I'm going to go round them up. Why would you not gonna let them in while the floods I are mean, here? What yeah. those? I mean, how is that American or Christian values right there? Yeah. And yet, the very people that are being disparaged against, harmed, are the first ones in line to say, "We're here to help. Yeah. How can we help?" Yeah, yeah. So we're going to see what happens when they all get back to Congress uh, next week, uh, because this is that that test of that. Because now they need it, and needless to say, the media and the news has been having fun listing all the Congress people and senators from Texas who opposed Sandy relief and are now, of course, saying the only sad thing to me is is, is the same thing, same moral that you purported upon uh, Joel Osteen. As I watched, like Charlie Dent and some of these other folks that are from re- congressmen from Texas, Republicans. And they wouldn't even admit. They wouldn't even say, "Yeah, I, I, we were a little cavalier about our Sandy response," and and I definitely see the difference. Instead, they said, "Well, there was pork in it." You know, there was pork in it. They were still arguing. They wouldn't allow themselves to be wrong. You know, and that's part of being a good Christian too. If you want to talk about the religion or a good anything, I don't care what your religion is. You know, accepting that uh, you have evolved <laughs> and admitting it to yourself and the world. Well, hey, listen, know? right now, um, <laughs> Chris Christie, Chuck Schumer, all of these people could really stick it to them, right? They could yeah. say, uh, remember Sandy? Yeah. So right back at you. But you know what they're doing? They're turning the other cheek. Yep. I think that comes right from the Bible. Yeah, little Jesus phrase. Little, little. Turn the other cheek. When someone slaps you, turn the other cheek, Jesus give it to them. Phrase. Let them slap you again. Yeah. And that's right. And so this is how it gets demonstrated. And maybe this is how some of the tribalism gets tamped down because it's, it becomes, like you say, I think you had the best question of the show, which is, how is if this is about values, isn't this the value you appreciate? Isn't this the value that goes beyond party affiliation? Of, yes. uh, these folks are helping and these folks are uh, are trying to equivocate and, and make excuses for why they're not. So, you know, which which is the value you want to get behind? So, yeah. So the one funny thing about Hurricane Harvey, the Houstonians have a good sense of humor, is, and this has been going around Facebook. If you saw this picture, it's very hilarious. It's a picture of a, a store rack in a, in a Walmart or something. 
and it's all emptied out because people have bought every, every supply they need, except rows and rows, and you can see it, Erica, of Dallas Cowboys <laughs> coolers because in Houston, where the Texans play, football is about as big a deal. That's why Friday Night Lights comes from Texas. All this stuff, everything's about football in Texas. And so the hurricane, uh, the presumption is that Houstonians couldn't bear to buy a Dallas Cowboy cooler even in disaster. <laughs> That is so funny. I love that so much. I love the uh, journalist who got that photo. Right? And whether it's true or not, whether, you know, maybe that's not quite the, the context is, is relevant. It doesn't matter, though, because I know my Texans friends and someone tweeted on top of this and they said, yeah, that's how we are. <laughs> we, we would rather starve than have a Dallas Cowboys cooler oh, to eat from. my goodness, people. <laughs> right? It's kind of fun. So... There's a different kind of tribalism there, right? 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 So anyway. All right. Coming up. Well, Trump world continues uh, and that little victim parade. And we've got some stuff about the Russia collusion that's brand new in his Russian dealings that even though, oh, of course, he had no Russian dealings. And we're just going to try to have fun with that and work through that <laughs> in our heads. Uh, because that's what we do here in Jeff's World. She just wants to be beautiful. She This is Jeff's World, where social, political, popular, and unpopular culture is seen through the eyes of possibility, purpose, and punchlines, although a few less punchlines, because uh, Jeff Hendrick is on hiatus right now. Yes, we miss his comedy, his yes. wit. Yes, uh, you can always count on him to make some Orange Cheeto Boy comment that makes me giggle every time. He's uh, doing the right thing and focusing on his healing. Uh, you know, obviously, you get the big C and you got to do it. And yes, yes, uh, yes. and we're not going to guilt him into showing up uh, because of our needs. Uh, we're letting him uh, find his way through that process. And so Godspeed to you, Jeff Hendrick, if you're listening. Um, and We I'm, love you. We miss you. Exactly. And uh, again, I'm Jeff Stein with the uh, Erica Firestein is still here with us. And uh, one last thing that, about uh, Houston that was kind of funny, because I love the, the bias on the different sites. It's just it, it, I enjoy it so much. <laughs> and that story where I played of you know Chris Christie sitting down with Fox and Friends, the title of that story where that video sat is Bias Alert. <laughs> you know, they love their bias alerts on Fox News. I don't know if you're familiar with that meme. They do that regularly. Bias Alert. Trump's gaff-free Texas trip forces media to pounce on his shoes and on shoes and avoiding the flood zone. So the rest of the article, I had to extract that really great gem that Fox News really did a great job of looking at the issue. But the rest of it was about how hard they were on Donald Trump when, you know, he had a, a moment where he didn't goof anything up and and all they could do is focus on petty things like him going showing up too early or showing up too late. And you're like, really victim much? You know, it's like, come it's on. Pathetic. It's pathetic. OK, because you if you had a knowing, it's, again, it's, it's different. The only reason you try to make excuses or or try to convince people of something is because you don't believe it yourself. Mm -hmm. That's why you convince people. Mm -hmm. And so, if you're trying to convince people that he's put upon, it's because you don't believe it. Mm -hmm. You don't, you know, because if he was really awesome, if he was sticking the landing, I mean, if he got, you know, it's like sticking the landing is your gymnastics reference. If they got a perfect tens and won the gold medal, you wouldn't be going, you know, people are so hard on this gold medal winner. You would just go. Uh, so, gold medal. She won the gold medal 10 times. Yeah, criticize her all you like. Help yourself. Criticize your heart out. But they're not doing that. They're going, see, he didn't screw up for 24 hours and you guys didn't let him have a minute. Okay, well, <laughs> let's take a minute on Jeff's world. 
to applaud <laughs> the fact that the president didn't screw up one time. Way to go, Trump. Good job. Accolades. Sarcasm meter just fagged there a little bit. But, I mean, uh, I know. Give the man a biscuit. <laughs> there. And I said there was no comedy in this show. All right. So, but so far he has uh he hasn't totally goofed it up. I did look at his Twitter feed during it all, and it was a common he did have his narcissism sprinkled, but amongst, you know, talking about this and the latest stuff about him. No um, but. I know. But he did say things like they're doing it was still about him. They were still saying, "Oh, they're doing a great job." Now, this is the most historic hurricane ever, and uh the government's doing a great response. And then it compared to Obama's one tweet where he just says Aren't the first responders amazing? Look at look at how people are coming together and helping each other. If you want to help, and then he gave a list of the Red Cross, the various. He went right to here's how you can help, <laughs> and right. we still haven't gotten that from the it's president. It's actually like you know a helpful tweet, yeah, of service. So yes, Fox but- News. He didn't screw up, so to speak. He just didn't have the kind of heart that you would expect either. Where's the man? Where's your humanity, man? He doesn't have any. No humanity. Well, if you had a father like Fred Trump, you probably wouldn't have much humanity. He could never play that that game, Cards of Humanity, because he (laughs) doesn't have any. (laughs) That's a great reference. All right. Cards against humanity. Cards against humanity. Yeah, that's all right. For and against. Doesn't matter. We're trying to reduce the tribalism. We'll make our (laughs) cards for or against (laughs) humanity. Uh, Meanwhile, in the rest of the world. We turn now to America's capital, Moscow. (laughs) As you know by now, The Trump campaign's possible ties to Russia are currently under investigation, both by Congress and separately by Robert Mueller, the special counsel and handsome bird impersonator. (laughs) Now, just to refresh everyone, the big question in all of this is, what was the connection between Donald Trump and the Russian government? And all along, the Donald has always answered that question like this. I know nothing about Russia. I know I know about Russia, but I know nothing about the inner workings of Russia. I don't deal there. I have no businesses. I have no loans from Russia. I don't know money. I don't have deals in Russia. I don't know Putin. I have nothing to do with Russia. Haven't made a phone call to Russia in years. Don't speak to people from Russia. Not that I wouldn't. I just have nobody to speak to. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know what a Russia is. I don't even know. On my map, there's China, then there's white China. I don't even know. <laughs> About Russia. So from the beginning, Trump insisted he had absolutely no connections with Russia whatsoever. And then this morning, this came out. Some four months after he began to run for president, denying he had any ties to Russia, Donald Trump secretly signed a letter of intent to build a Trump Tower skyscraper in Moscow. The revelations come from emails turned over to Congress Monday by Donald Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohn, spelling out Trump's involvement in trying to get a major real estate deal in Russia, what was going to be the tallest building in the world at the same time he was running for president. How can one person lie so big? How? You have no connections with Russia, but you signed a deal to build the world's tallest building there. Like the gap between the lie and the truth could not be wider. It could not be wider. It's like if your friend said that they'd never heard of Mumford and Sons. And then one day you see the album cover and you're like, wait a minute, you're Mumford. Yeah, that's great. Their analogies are so brilliant. And <laughs> that, of course, is The Daily Show. Uh, I, I, Boy, Trump does everything big. 
Everything. Tallest buildings. It was going to be, you know. Biggest lies. Biggest lies. Gaudiest decorating. Uh, most uh, sat- saddest trapped wife. No, that shouldn't go there. Oh, Poor, free Melania. Poor Free Melania. That shouldn't go there. That's the, that's not uh, <laughs> that, that's not part and personal. You know what? She could free herself if she wanted she to. She could. I, I hope that. She'll, she's, I hope she writes a great book when it's all over. And uh, But yes. So the, the first thing I think of, I see this, right? And I see the story. And we're going to, there's some more. I hate to say it, the, some of the best reporting is The Daily Show. We've got some more on the, the on these revelations about the collusion, too. But on the on the idea of the business dealings and not having business dealings with Russia. Now, of course, for those who follow it, there is a long public record already of dealings that he's done with Russia. Not just the pageant, but other money that clearly he's taken in his deals. And even, of course, Donald Trump Jr. famously said, or Eric Trump, whichever it was, in, in Golf Magazine of all things, he said, most of our financing for our golf clubs comes from Russian money. It was his words. And then, of course, he later tried to recant that. And But Bob Mueller's on all of this. I have total and complete confidence that this will see the light of day and it will be the biggest crime Federal crime in the history of America. It's going to make it look like, you know, people on the on the right love to talk about how corrupt Chicago was because they did. Is it the dailies? Yeah, well, they, and then after that, they had the governors there, too. That It was another – they've had a series. There's no doubt. I'm the first – and this goes into the topic of what I was going to get into later, too, which is called whataboutism. That's a new term we got. Okay. You know, it's like your best argument when you're, when you're caught doing terrible things is, well, what about them? What about what they did? They're worse. They're worse. They're worse. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Trump did it with the pardon of Arpaio. We could get deeper than that in a minute. Uh, but, you know, instead of defending the pardon, saying, you know, he just said that, well, Clinton was worse. Well, you know, the Republicans, worse. what about right. Hillary? Right. What about Hillary? It's always what aboutism, right? And so, <laughs> and this is about as what about as you get. Anyway, it is clear that they've, he's been doing all these Russian dealings and blatantly lying about it. And the first thing I think of my Trump friends and I go, is this it? Is this the one that makes you go? Yeah, because a lot of my good my Trump friends, you know, the, my smart ones who are behind him are thinking you know, he's a great businessman. And I'm like, well, but there be a good but, businessman if you're a big lot. OK, but here's the thing. Your Trump friends only get their news from Fox News and alt-right media. And Fox News is not reporting on yeah, this. Really so they're not hearing this information so it does not exist in their universe yeah you know all they're getting are the news reports of you know trump didn't screw up in the you know everybody's you know ragging on him for his shoes poor trump that's all they're getting they're yeah. not getting any of this right and so like i'm looking just while we were you were saying that, i went ahead and as you can see erica i just went and turned on front page fox news and, uh, you know, what live blog right now, Trump is speaking about tax reform in Missouri, a uh, bunch of stuff on Hurricane Houston. I mean, Harvey, sure, of course, right? But then here's the main topics. North Korea, uh, they're bashing some Democrat who did something wrong, so was, spoke some profanity here. And then it's Antifa, all about the anti-fascists mm-hmm. and apologists. are Antifa apologists, Dartmouth faculty stand with Professor lauding violence. And so they find... Fox News does most of their time whataboutism, trying to find somebody who is uglier than their people. Instead and just of saying lying hey. by omission too, by literally omitting any, you know, any of these facts about his Russian business dealings. Yeah. Just not we're just not gonna show it. Cause they know that they're, you know, that their loyal viewers only lock into them. Yeah. 
So I hear these things and I go, is it penetrating at all? And yeah, you're right. A lot of them aren't seeing it. But I know know a couple of particular Trump friends, some of them do absolutely consume only right-wing stuff and they think everything else is fake news. But I've got a few of them who do listen to it and some even listen to the show, obviously. And I'm just wondering... When is it enough? And in fact, let's go to the uh, the next part of the Daily Show, which is the next part of the collusion that just broke in the last few days here. Yes, during the campaign, Donald Trump totally had connections to Russia. Now, the remaining question is, were those connections strictly business or were they getting out on the voty-voty action? You know, well, that's not clear yet. What is clear is that the people who Trump signed this Russia deal with aren't exactly helping his case. The middleman for the Bosco Trump Tower deal was a convicted felon and one-time FBI informant, Felix Sater, who was also involved in other Trump deals. Surprise, surprise. Trump dealing with yet another shady character. Trump Tower is the only place where ticking yes on criminal conviction is what gets you the job. That's (laughs) that's what that feels like. Oh, Oh, and in case you were wondering, in case you were wondering, yes, the Sater guy is also Russian. Yeah. Russian-born, Brooklyn-raised. He uh, got into trouble back in the 90s. He got in a bar fight and served jail time. Sater snapped the stem of a margarita glass and stabbed the man in the neck and face. The man had 110 stitches. Sweet Jesus. He needed 110 stitches? Not even Mr. Met has 110 stitches <laughs> Which is the baseball head. head. And that mom uh, is a baseball. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Oh, and, and by the way, just a, a quick etiquette note. Of all the glasses to stab someone with, <laughs> I would say a margarita glass is the worst. Yeah. You're literally putting salt in the wounds. Why would you do that? <laughs> this is unnecessary. This, like, this guy, Sater, everything about him is like, he's crazy. He didn't just assault people. Uh, apparently, Felix Sater also committed non-stabbing crimes, including $40 million of stock fraud. Yeah, which none of this should be a surprise, right? Uh, Because I have a simple rule in life. You never trust someone with a cat name, right? (laughs) If a human goes by Felix or Whiskers or Mittens, you should probably just stay away. Yeah, (laughs) which which is what Trump said he did. In fact, like Russia, he apparently doesn't even know the Satan that exists. At the time of the Moscow deal, Trump executives denied to ABC News that Sater had any current role with Trump. To say he's a senior advisor to Mr. Trump at any point in time would not have been accurate in my mind and or Mr. Trump's mind. Yet Sater was given cards by the Trump organization calling him cards. a They're senior advisor card. to Donald Trump. It says, it says Felix Sater, senior Trump advisor. Crazy. <laughs> he had business. I mean, no, but come on, guys. Come on. It's like... This is the same lie as the Russia one. I have nothing to do with this guy. Oh, actually, he's my senior advisor. And I printed it in gold. That's how I did it. I printed it in gold. Like, you know, like, the big story here isn't just that this shady Russian-born criminal was acting as the middleman between Trump and the Kremlin. Uh, When Trump insisted he had no such connections, the real story here is what the shady guy was saying. In emails turned over to Congress between Sater and Trump's lawyer Cohen, first reported by the Washington Post, Sater wrote, Buddy, our boy can become president of the USA and we can engineer it. I will get all of Putin's team to buy in on this. 
I love how obvious all the Trump people were in their collusion emails. Like, first Don Jr.'s emails were like, Clinton, Russia, I love it. Yeah. And now you've got Felix Seder saying to Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, let's engineer the election with Putin. Like, these people are so heavy-handed. It's almost like the emails were composed by a porn writer. That's how blatant it is. Right. Hello, I just moved in next door, and I'm so horny for collusion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, uh, Trevor Noah at The Daily Show for continuing to keep that mantle going. I mean, that's just, that's great reporting with sarcasm. And humor. And to be able to just look, because this is, to me, I mean, everyone in this room is like, this is done. This is so easy. And yet, I don't know when it's going to, you know, we have to wait for Mueller and all the timing. And this is how we have to wait. But this idea, don't you say, isn't there an AA thing about how, uh, when it comes to violence, dude, I did this Felix Sater guy breaking off a margarita glass and stabbing somebody in the head and neck requiring 110. St- That's where you run, right? Violence is where you stop and you run. <laughs> and yeah, let alone millions sense. in bank fraud. I mean, it's one thing to commit millions in bank fraud. People think that's a little, maybe slightly less victimy as stabbing someone. But this is the crowd that he hangs with. And when we look back at this, it's gonna. Nobody will understand how it, it didn't I don't get seen think, coming. You know. Well, I, you know, and I, I don't think we should be looking back at this. I mean, there is enough right here to impeach. Of this course, president. any other Congress would have. And you know what? And that's why the Republicans—they are Trump. No matter what they say, they may yeah. go out there and say, "Well, he's on his own, or he doesn't represent my values." No, no, no. no. Your actions don't match your your words because you are enabling this you are keeping this going you are fueling this if this was a democrat doing you know an eighth of what this guy has done they would have been all over it but they're doing it because um he provides great cover while they you know sell off our national lands and and monuments and um you know take away consumer protections that keep us from breathing in toxic chemicals. And, you know, it's like, will they impeach him? It depends. If the uh, if the poll shows that they'll be reelected in 2018 for impeaching him, then they will. If the polls show that they won't be reelected, then they won't. It's as simple as that. They have they really have no values that go beyond their own self-interest and that of their biggest clients the wealthiest americans in the country i know it's it's hard to watch because they have such a preoccupation with victimhood that they can't even see their own purpose they they idolize the golden calf of money and yes it's between their their idolization of money and their victimization and their, you know, just runaway greed. Right. Well, they the only, are stuck. And again, they are stuck. And it won't work. 
uh, everything when you do something like this when you when you're in pure victimhood and you're you know not focusing on what you want instead of focusing dominantly on what you don't want you will manifest it. There, I mean, now I look at it broadly and say they're just getting deeper and deeper. Like you point out, they're just getting deeper and deeper. It's really uh, from again from the standpoint of wh- where the Republican Party is going, it's it's a question of how much damage they're going to do to it uh, before they either re- receive so much pain that they have to change or they just run it off the cliff and destroy it and become like the Whigs and then disappear and some other party comes in and make, I don't know how, because this country is so locked in between parties, but I don't know. I have no idea how it's going to fall uh, together, but it's only going to get uglier. And then when they come back uh, to Congress next week, I mean, our the Charlottesville happened during the recess, you know, are they going to, and again, compare the response. Uh, you know, when we come back, we're going to do the uh, the Charlotte. We're going to do the Trump lightning round because there's a lot of different lessons that we can get and the nuggets out of this, which I think will also encourage you and remind you that this is working. We are getting this. The electorate, the world, the nation, it is getting it. The majority of us are, are waking up, but it will seem struggly because a lot of folks are going to kick and scream to the end. So that's coming up. Uh, this side. that is Erica Ferriston. I'm Jeff Stein, and this is Jeff's World. Through a line, I Welcome to Jeff's World and being part of our growing population. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston. This is where we uh, try to do a little political soul searching uh, instead of just being the noise of typical shows that just uh, revenge and blame based. That's why I got into this. I wanted to do a show that wasn't just revenge radio, as I've heard so often through my career. <laughs> had to hear on this when I was working at Premier as a comedy executive on the speaker just outside my office was... Uh, John Hannity, Rush Limbaugh. It was good times. Glenn Beck. Although I'm much more impressed with Glenn Beck. It's a lot of revenge. (laughs) It's a lot of revenge. And so we'll go a little bit into the Trump lightning round because there's a couple of uh, fun things that are going on. One of them is that after the rally in Arizona, I don't know if you caught this, Erica, that um, they fired, he fired the longtime aide that he'd had since before the election because the crowd size wasn't big enough. Well, and also they paid for people to show up and that got outed. So I think it was what they were paying ten dollars an hour. I don't know what. Yeah, I didn't catch the. uh... Yeah. So there were advertisements. You know, come to the you know Trump rally. Da da da. You'll get paid. I think it was on Craigslist. Maybe. Wow. I might be wrong about that, but they were. They actually (laughs) put out ads to pay people to come and then what happened was is people saw those ads and then tweeted them and then right. so this guy yeah so it's so they couldn't even pay enough people to show up to fill the the place yeah literally they couldn't pay enough people and you probably heard the stories that folks started trickling out now in his defense it was a tuesday wednesday night it was a it was a school night it's and it was running late of yeah. the United States. Are you telling me if you could have seen Barack Obama? Or even George Bush. I don't, I don't think I would have left early. I doubt it. I would be surprised if I left early. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but they'd like heard the I hits. took my kids to uh, Shakespeare in the Park. Right. And you guys We didn't leave early. For the last thou That's and that, like, that wasn't even over until like 10 p.m. Their bedtime is 730. so that was one thing that happened he fired the guy and uh and by the way that was a campaign rally and i say that just because just you know the the uh that's all goes in fec filings the 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 location in phoenix the arena 
wasn't an arena. It was like a whatever it was. But anyway, it was paid by Trump for president 20, you know, 2020. <laughs> it's kind of funny because uh, he won't even make this way 20. Uh, I, I, I can't see how, but I guess anything is possible. Anyway, uh, so that's one. Another one was that Fox News has been pulled off the air in the United Kingdom. Have you heard that? Because no one was watching it. The ratings were down. They said Fox News is focused on the U.S. market and designed for a U.S. audience. And accordingly, it averages only a few thousand viewers across the day in the U.K. We have concluded that it is not in our commercial interest to continue providing Fox News in the U.K. Because they failed. (laughs) Failed. Meanwhile, Rachel Maddow is number one on the cable news channels for the month of August. MSNBC is killing it right now, and she's beating Hannity, too, which was, you know, these were the dominant ones. For the longest time in cable news, Hannity and Fox News were always getting two to three times the viewership of anyone on MSNBC. And nope, not anymore. Mm. So whatever that means, uh, I guess it means that they're in trouble, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, and then there was a moment in San Francisco, and this is the kind of thing I go and jump over the red right-wing sites and, and on Breitbart, and uh, it's fun to kind of look and see what they're talking about. Like um, they had the gospel singers on Breitbart. You can see over my shoulder here, Eric, I see it. Um, they talk about how the uh, the uh, all I want to do is make America great, Trump baffled by criticism <laughs> of him, baffled by criticism. All right, so there's the pro commit. Uh, President of the United States, talking is not the answer to North Korea. That's another thing. Okay. Um, oh, and this one this is what I was trying to catch. Unequivocal condemnation. Nancy Pelosi denounces Antifa violence before Ryan Rubio or Romney. And so there, you see on the right, they're attacking the establishment. Mm-hmm. They're trying to shame them right. by saying even Nancy Pelosi went after Antifa, the anti fascists, even though. What is Antifa? Exactly. That isn't even an organized thing. I it's mean, just this, this is boogeyman. Like a whole thing it's that's a boogeyman. Being pro- yes. Right? I mean, it's basically just this made-up thing. media is making it something that it isn't. The right wing loves Antifa, which, you know, if you want to say, okay, what is Antifa? If I, I think their answer would be, well, like those guys would try to show up in black masks at the end of the Trump rally. Well, so yeah. I'm Antifa because I... Um, I am against racism. I am against fascism. Yeah. Just like our World War II soldiers there you uh, go. were when we fought Hitler, we didn't rally for him. And somehow this has been like, you know, that's what our country, those were some of our the values of our country. Yeah. And I will guarantee you that once they, because I've watched Fox News a lot too, and then when they establish a boogeyman like that, you could do a poll of Fox News viewers, and I would be shocked if 50% of them knew what Antifa was, what it, that it stood for anti-fascist. Mm-hmm. They just heard the word Antifa, and that means liberal, violent people in their mind, which is hilarious because that's not liberal. I mean, Mm-mm. I mean, somebody just goes and—I mean, neither. You shouldn't ascribe either conservative or liberal as being people who just put on black masks and try to disrupt a circumstance. Um, that's, not, that's, that's not a party or a, or, or a point of view. It's just violence. Right. So, but anyway, the boogeyman thing, <laughs> they have to have it because they have to have the whataboutism. Right. It's the, since ours, obviously you've got these neo Nazis and you can't defend that. So you have to say that, well, there are liberals who are just as evil. What about them? I think the, you know, this whataboutism yeah. thing would be a good uh, longer discussion. And I don't want to interrupt the lightning round. No, but put th- that this in is the, the parking point. lot. 
unless you want to go for it now. No, I think it is because this is this is prevailing right now. It's okay. Trump's it's Trump's key argument is so whataboutism. Yeah, so start from the beginning. What what is whataboutism? Right. Where do you see it? What's the purpose of it? Um, start from there. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, what about ism is the idea that I cannot defend uh, the the group I have associated with the identity of so something I'm identifying with, right? In this case, it could be the Republican Party, it could be Donald Trump. I cannot defend the action. So, my only course, and lawyers do this all the time. I'm going to, you know, you, you, if you can't attack the evidence, you attack the witness. If you can't attack the witness, you attack the evidence. So they're going to say that, well, you're much worse. And then you just muddy it all. And if everybody, I had this uh, quote here, I got to find it again. If everybody's bad, <laughs> then you get to emerge as somebody. Like, for instance, it, it, I remember when uh, the reason why Donald Trump was attacking Obama for the birtherism is because, I put this in quotes, if I can prove that Obama is a bigger fraud than I am, then the playing field is even, and I'll win because people love a guy who is feared and admired. So in other words, if you can tell everyone that everybody's a fraud and everybody lies, that's one of the best uh, descriptions or um, defenses I hear about Trump. Every politician lies. So, right? okay. So what so about bra- What about So it's like if somebody has a criticism about Donald Trump, like you just said, he lies a lot. Yeah, well, you're worse. That's well, what about when right. Hillary Clinton lied about the emails? Exactly. The perfect well, example. you know, what about all the other politicians who lie? So instead of sticking with the criticism and the topic or the person at hand, it's, well, what about something over there? Right. So that's Antifa is what about the deep state. You heard this one all up on the right side. That's a what about ism. Because it's, oh, well, the Republican-controlled government and Donald Trump are not getting any laws passed. Well, what about the deep state, which is all Hillary and Obama, that are sabotaging the circumstance? Which obviously is kooky. In fact, you can see it over the credit here. Jason Chaffetz doing an interview, good old Jason Chaffetz, who left Congress because there wasn't Hillary Clinton to to try to investigate all day. He says the deep state is fighting back on that. And that's why we can't get information on Clinton emails. And it's like the deep state. It's what about So why do we do it? Because that's the only relief you can get. If you've attached your ego and your identity to this person or this cause, and then someone says, presents you, present you with evidence that they are failing, you have to, the only relief is to say, well, you're failing more. Uh, now the relief should be, which we talked about all through with Joe Olstein and these Republicans in Texas, is yeah, uh, that was wrong. I need to evolve. <laughs> I need to change my opinion. I need to change my perspective. But the reason why people, you know, are identifying with a a cause or a person or an organization or whatever it is, they can't uh, tolerate the any criticism or facts that show them otherwise. Um, is because it's linked in their head that attack on this cause is a yeah. attack on their character, their judgment. Yeah, it's not atta- if you attack what I associate with, and you're attacking me, right? And so what? How? How does, do we undo this? Yeah, right? Do we undo yeah. This? Well, again, you know, it's something that if you know Erica and I work with all the time when we're doing our political groups is to focus on the purpose <laughs> rather than the tribe or the personalities, right? It's, so 
give us a give an example. So if you were, let's say you're talking take, to a Trump supporter, yeah, I mean, and you say he lies a lot, and they say, well, what about Hillary Clinton's lies? Yeah, I mean, if they're going to be stuck in their victim mode, you ne- can't necessarily help them. But okay. uh, but you could hopefully direct their attention to a broader purposes. Well, what did you like? Even what uh, was it? Ken Burns who said, you know, what what about Trump reminds you of Jesus? You know, what about Trump? Uh, do you feel is uh, getting you your purpose realized? What what you know? What makes you excited about what can become as a result of him? So if you can direct their attention to what you think he's making instead of you, what do you think he's opposing? But they may not be able to do it. Because Trump was elected. No, because because I had a similar conversation with a Trump supporter the other day at the farmer's market. And he might say, well, he said, um, well, you know, Christians in this country have been treated so poorly (laughs) by the Democrat Party that he is now, you know, giving us a voice and listening to us. And so do you just listen to that person share that and move on or do you well i think in general we have to release the idea that we're going to necessarily change people's minds and then we can't put a stake in the outcome of their minds changing but you know me i love playing with people and uh and seeing if they can see their own contradictions Uh, like alan watts we love alan watts he says let them go to the extreme of their folly you know walk them to their argument and see what happens you know, I was having this description. This is somewhat unrelated, but I love these kind of discussions. I was talking about religion. I think I told you about this with a with a guy who is a Roman Catholic, and he goes every to mass all the time. And I said, "How do you reconcile the internal damnation thing?" And he and, and saying that you know when you die, now you're going to burn in hell for some sins that you committed before death. And at first, he says, "Well, that proves that God is loving and that." God is just. And I said, okay, good. So, okay. So God is loving. God is unconditional love. God is merciful, right? The most merciful ever. He goes, absolutely. No, there's no mercy like God's mercy. There's no love like God's love. Okay. So why does he stop when you die and then deprive you of it henceforth? Oh, because that's the, that's, that's, you know, you had to figure it out while you were alive. If you don't figure it out while you're alive, then you're, it's too late. I said, well, why wouldn't he extend his mercy after death? I mean, if you're sitting around burning all day, wouldn't he? And he wanted to repent and say, hey, I want to learn about God's love. Let me in. Why wouldn't he? Well, because it's too late. And I went and I kept kind of saying, doesn't that, you know, have trouble with that? How does that feel to you? And he couldn't get around it. And you could feel his contradiction. He didn't he didn't know how to reconcile it. But then he went because Bible. And he said, because Bible says so, period. And then he told stories about Satan and Satan being cast out and all this sort of thing. And I went, okay, so Bible says so. Well, because he's decided that that is the truth, there's the, there's we come back to what our argument was. If you identify that and say, okay, this book must be infallible. These words must be true under all circumstance. Then you will back up every argument to make that true, right? And you will, and then if you have to resort to things like whataboutism, well, that religion's worse. We're the one that's most persecuted of all. We're the most persecuted religion ever. And it's like, well, I thought it was about love. And so the only way you can direct it, isn't this about love? Even to Joel Osteen, if I saw him today, I'd say, this is about love, right? Well, let's see how much love we can extend to these folks that are suffering right now in Houston. And he'd probably jump into action. Mm-hmm. You know, if you appealed him that way, and would he admit his error? Ah, it's up to him. It's up to him to figure out whether or not he wants to accept that he had a contradiction and he and he kidded himself out of it. 
you know, and he BSed mm-hmm. himself. So, uh, but the fascinating thing with this religious discussion, of course, is that here was this guy who says, "Well, that's the way it is," and that shows God's love is that He's just. And I was like, "Wow, that sure gives people permission to judge." If God judges so harshly that he'll be merciful to the moment you die, but then never, ever, 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 ever merciful again, that to me made sense why really, you know, Jesus-centric Christians could still somehow think the death penalty is good, for instance, or that life in prison is good, that, that never forgiving somebody is appropriate. Well, if it's in the Bible, the Bible says God never forgives you then that kind of gives you permission to. Once you're dead. Right? To Yeah, once you're dead. All the forgiveness in the world, all the mercy in the world, until you're dead. Mm-hmm. And then no more. But your eternal soul will never be forgiven. Right. It doesn't seem to make sense to me. That's my biggest problem with that, those parts of religion. Of course, religion is evolving. And so how does it work that this then gives right. those, uh, you know, uh, Jesus-centric or Christian-centric folks the the permission to judge themselves, like to be judges themselves. How does that... Well, if God does, you see what I'm saying, though? It's like if God... Because they're made in the image and likeness sure. of God. You know, and of course they say... Hey, I mean, according to their beliefs. Now, of course, he and these others would say, uh, you know, uh, judgment is mine, saith the Lord, right? Right? So God's the only one supposed to judge. Well, but if you if your book says that the rules are that you have a certain amount of time to get it right and then you get judged eternally, mm-hmm. then why would you not translate that into your your physical experience here? And You know what I mean? So I mean, then they would be interpreting things like, well, this person had a certain amount of time to get it right. They didn't get it right in that amount of time, and therefore they deserve a punishment such as life in prison or the death penalty or yeah. uh, never to be forgiven or never to be allowed back into the family or whatever it is. And so we talk about values mm-hmm. and uh, what do you value? And to me, I value trying to be as loving as possible for as long as possible with as many as possible mm-hmm. rather than saying, you know what? I'm going to give that person two more tries of love and then I'm done. We're locking them up, throwing away the key. I ain't going to be that friend of person again. I'm done with them. And when I meet my Bible literalist friends, I got a couple of great ones. They're great people. But that's the one thing they kind of do is they will decide, yep, that's I'm done with them and there's nothing I can do with them. I'm never going to, you know. And I'm not saying you don't set boundaries. There's obviously things you, some folks you want to let fade out of your life if they're toxic for you or whatever. Well, listen, but, you can set boundaries and let and people fade them. out of their, your life. Exactly. Yeah. But still hold a loving space for them. Yeah. And um, I think that's what Jesus said. Mm-hmm. That's how I interpret it. But and so there, yeah, we want to try to extend love as long as possible, uh, you know. And we talk about the prison system and the private prison system. I think the number one re- the purpose should be to try to help people find love again. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a squishy word like love, but find kindness, find community, find you know common good, find humanity. Mm-hmm. You pick your word, mm-hmm. but teach that. You know, but when you've got a portion of the Bible, especially the old parts that say that, oh, no, no, punishment is love. And you're like, oh, that's kind of hard. to. I just find it, you know, strange that. So, first of all, there's several versions of the Bible. So then it's like, which version? And then and and it's like, okay, so if there's several versions, will somebody either rewrote or edited or cherry picked or picked and choose or whatever. Right. And then 
so I mentioned earlier that um, a couple of weekends ago, I took the boys to see Shakespeare in the Park here. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, if you haven't gone, fantastic Good. at right. Griffith I'll Park. Bring the boy. So much fun. Okay. Um, great, great production. But um, Shakespeare lived how long ago was Went it? The 1600s, Four, right? Or right. Day, um, so what is that? 400, 400 plus years ago, yeah. 400 plus years ago. How long ago did Jesus live? 2000. Okay. So there are today, for these works of Shakespeare, uh, still ongoing arguments of how to interpret Good point. what this playwright wrote 400 years ago. Right. Now take something written over 2,000 years ago that wasn't even written by... Jesus, several yeah. different contributors. Yeah. And can you imagine the misinterpretations? This is why. I mean, obviously yeah. they cannot, but yeah. let's have some logic here. Yeah. I, I mean, how many of my texts are misinterpreted? <laughs> my emails are totally like, <laughs> misinterpreted. Much less a whole book <laughs> of my texts. Yeah. It's like, okay, no, hold on. Let me clarify. What I meant was. Right. So to me, it's the follow the path of love. How many the path times of kindness, have you right? written something, you know, when you were in your 20s? Yeah. And then you take the same subject and write about it after you've been a parent, after you've had some life experiences. How different is is that subject to you? Yeah. And again, I have great sympathy for folks who feel like having something like the Bible gives them gives something, uh, something solid to stand on. I mean, that's the idea. It's like, here's something that is the word of God and I can just, just and then that'll be true when the rest of the world is super scary mm-hmm. and super chaotic and changes all the time. But mm-hmm. if I can go, no, the Bible is real and the Bible is consistent and that'll keep me consistent. Well, okay. Uh, I mean, bio con Dios, go with God. But mm-hmm. in, but try to find your, I think love should be the prevailing answer. You know, take those words and say, how do I put them to the lens of love? And case in point, in San Francisco, Diane Feinstein, who obviously is a San Francisco liberal, which makes her conservative. <laughs> I mean, a San Francisco conservative, which makes her a, a Republican. It's hard to explain. I didn't say that right. But in San Francisco, as you know, she's you're, you're laughing because. I laugh because I think she's too conservative. She is. So. She's a, she's a, they, she's from San Francisco, but people don't know she's a San Francisco conservative, which makes her a moderate Republican. But anyway, um, she was in a little symposium speaking on a panel and said this. And you'll hear the reaction from the, the crowd who didn't necessarily like her, her message of hope. Look, this man is going to be president most likely for the rest of this term. I just hope he has the ability to learn and to change. And if he does, he can be a good president. And that's my hope. Um, I have my own personal feelings about it. Yeah, I understand how you feel. I understand how you feel. And there it is. That's the crux of what we were just saying. You know, do you want to have the hope that... Trump can learn. Maybe he won't ever learn. <laughs> but it's your decision that and we talk about values, your decision to believe that people are repentable, if you want to use a religious word, uh, atone, can atone or they just can turn better and be kind if you can believe or in, in be, or learn or evolve. It's your believing that they can do that allows you to evolve. I mean, that's the most important part of it. Do it for you. It for That's you. a really interesting um, example because I I have a 
a lot of disagreements with Diane Feinstein. <laughs> but but with that statement and and you know in this conversation, you know this is where I think we do put tribalism aside or here's the opportunity because right. So, you know, on my side, it's like, no, Donald Trump should be a failure. But if I'm, if I'm putting like what I really want for the American people, which, you know, for me, it's, it's things, quality, healthcare, educate quality of life. If he, you know, I should hope that he would learn and grow in those areas and provide that because it shouldn't be about the uh, party or uh, the game of it or the win or lose. It's like, no, let's advance these values for the common good. Let's, let's turn them into legislation for the common good um, and hope that he does that. Um, I, I don't think that he will, but um, well, so that's yeah. very that was very interesting, and I thought she handled it so handled the booze so well. By I really felt she was genuine when she was saying, "Yeah, no, I I understand how you feel. I hear you on that," but still was holding that position of, "But I want to hope for the best because this is the president that we have at yeah. this time." The Christian version would be hate the sinner, not the hate the sin, not the sinner. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we can stick to that, that would be uh, that would be mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> That'd be very nice. OK, so coming up, uh, this is going to get even more heartwarming. We've got some stuff that came up in the news recently, especially like at the VMAs that make that will, again, uh, renew your belief in humanity and where we are going. We're evolving nicely and we like to talk about it here on Jeff's World. Got a girl from the south side, got brazen I've been thinking about this, and I really I want to speak to those of you who voted for Donald Trump. And first of all, I want to say, I get it. I actually do. You were unhappy with the way things were going. You wanted someone to come in and shake things up. You didn't want business as usual. Nothing ever seems to get done. It's always the same. These candidates make a lot of promises that go nowhere. It happens over and over again, and you're sick of it. And so this guy shows up riding down a, a golden escalator. He's not part of the political establishment. In fact, he's the opposite of that. He's a billionaire. Maybe he's written books. He's not politically correct. He's not even correct usually, but he <laughs> talks tough. He wants to drain the swamp. Sometimes he can be funny. He rips into his opponents in a way politicians never do, have never done before. And he thought, you know what? This guy's different, and that's what I want. Different. Let's roll the dice. Let's get him in there. Have him run the country like a business. Cut the dead weight. Toughen everyone up. Let's shake this Etch-a-Sketch hard and start over. So you vote for him. You pick him over Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz and John Kasich and a dozen other Republicans whose names we forgot. And ultimately, he beats them. He strolls in. He beats all of these guys, these guys who've been in politics forever. And then he beats the ultimate political insider, Hillary Clinton, a woman who's been running for office, a woman who ran for president of her mother's uterus in the womb forever. (laughs) He beats her. Everyone said he couldn't. Everyone said he wouldn't, but he did. And it's exciting because this was your guy. You picked a horse at like 35 to 1 and somehow it paid off. So now he's the president and it starts off okay. He meets with President Obama and they seem to have a nice conversation. Then he moves into the White House. Right off the bat, he's angry at the media for reporting that the crowd at his inauguration was smaller than he thought it was, which was weird, but not important really. And he claimed it stopped raining when... He was speaking at his inaugural address, which everyone could see. It was raining, but okay. It was his first week. He gave him a press. He gets in there. Hi, it's Donnie. Hi, it's Donnie. 
<laughs> he plays chicken with Kim Jong Un. And that's just some of the list. It, if I went through all of it, it'd be longer than the menu at the Cheesecake Factory. It would be huge. So, by every reasonable account, and I'm using his own words here, he is a total disaster. He screws up royally every day, sometimes two or three times a day. We can't keep up with it. Things come out of nowhere. Every day there's something nuts. But you've been trying to ignore it because you don't want to admit to these smug, annoying liberals right. that they were right. right. That's the last thing you want to do. But the truth is, deep down inside, you know you made a mistake. You know you picked the wrong guy. And it isn't getting better. It's getting worse. So you can do one of two things. You can dig in like, uh, like Chris Christie at a hometown buffet. <laughs> or... You could treat this situation like you would if you'd put Star Wars wallpaper up in the kitchen. <laughs> All right, I got caught up. I was excited. I made a mistake. <laughs> and now it needs to go. Well, now he does need to go. So it's time for especially you who voted for him to tell him to go. Yeah. Please think about it. It makes it. He doesn't even want to be president. He's miserable. But he won't resign because his ego is too big. He can't do it. So either we impeach him, which could happen, but it might not. Or we do what he would do in this situation. We negotiate. We make a deal. And I know this is going to sound nuts, but I have an idea. So hear me out on this. I think this could solve all our problems. We're all going to have to be on board with this. Instead of president, we make Donald Trump king. Okay? We make him the first king of America. Think about it. England has a queen. She lives in a palace. Everyone makes a big deal when she shows up. She has no power at all. In the morning, they put a crown on her head. She stands there and waves. She goes back to bed. That's it. The queen could be completely bonkers. It would make no difference at all. She'd still be queen. It would still be fine. That's what we need to do with Donald Trump. We need to set him up in a castle, maybe in Florida, lead him to the top, and then lock the door to that castle. Forever. Forever. That's Jimmy Kimmel. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston. This is Jeff's World, where the political soul-searching begins. Right? I mean, isn't this a powerful argument of, like, I get it. I get it. And you don't want those smug liberals to to, admit they're right. That's half of it. I I know that's a big part of it. Also, you know, if you go back to the beginning of his setup there where he's saying, you know, you— you wanted the country to be run like a business. You wanted a political outsider. Yeah, drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. All that. I get it's like, that. Okay, but this is the richest billion. I mean, Not this a, is a yeah. billionaire cabinet. Hasn't drained the swamp. I mean, he widened the swamp. He he made the swamp more deep with with deep pocket billionaires running everything from education to well, the ultimate kind of corruption, like we were talking about with the uh, uh, with what's his name, Icon, who. You know, bet against a sector of the market, became an advisor of Trump, destroyed that sector of the market, and then profited wildly for it. That's yes. the ultimate in swampiness. So that's why I had to speed up that section of Jimmy Kimmel, because Jimmy Kimmel actually weirdly went on this three-minute ex- list of all the things, and you hear it. I, I highly recommend it. Go online. I put it on the website, on the, on Facebook. When you listen to it all, you're like, oh, my gosh, I had forgotten how many things that Donald Trump done but the point is we got to say and he's saying to these trump voters like it's okay it's you know you did it for good reasons you voted for the right reasons right i mean there were things that he campaigned on that i was supporting you know he was saying these ridiculous uh free 
free trade deals. Yeah. I mean, they're terrible. NAFTA, CAFTA, TPP. Now he's gone back on that. He's yeah. supporting them. You know, another thing he he ran on was basically being an anti-war candidate. That was the whole right? put America first. Let's pull out of these wars in the Middle East that are, you know, sucking us dry. Um, and now he's backtracking on that. And even Ann Coulter tweeted out something the other day that I agreed with. What? I know. Where she said, <laughs> you know, another president, another win for the military industrial complex. See, the thing is, because we knew with Hillary Clinton, we knew we were going to have more war. That We knew that. Donald Trump was... Go back and listen to his campaign speeches. Oh, you said we were going to get out of Afghanistan the second he's president. The second he's president, we're going to get out. We're going to put America first, like pull out of these wars. And and so, you know, even people like me were like, uh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And if I'm going to take you at your word, I mean, I didn't really think you would do it, but there was a little bit of hope there. Sure. This is what, you know, if you read Breitbart the other day, his base is really mad at yeah. this one that he's like, yeah, let's send more troops in, more fighting, more bombing. Like, yeah. they're upset about that. And so, so, so is the left. That's where the left and, yeah. and the Trump base, uh, you know, collude together. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. So these are things that he is... Not made good on. So it's all up to the Congress and whether they're going to do anything about it. Between which the Republican, we Republican, Congress. Congress. we're not sure what's going to come first. The difference well, with Nixon is you had you know Democrats and Republicans. That's correct. Democrats were controlling Congress mm-hmm. when Nixon was impeached, but the Republicans got on board once yes. they saw once they heard the tapes. You know, and then the whole as soon as President Nixon said when the president do it, it's not illegal. Then they were like, okay, done, because they had a breaking point too. But these but Republicans I, in Congress don't seem to have a breaking point. No. I think they're we'll like see. Donald Trump when he said he could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue in broad daylight and still be elected yeah. president. I think he could do that, and they still would not impeach him. He will be either A, removed, or B, the Mueller investigation will pop in the next amount of time, and then, then they would be removed because obviously he's in charge with specific things and they lay it out. Uh, we didn't even get into the dossier, which we'll have to save for another show, Which, because if you hadn't heard this, the quote-unquote dossier, which everyone is calling a roadmap to all of the the Russian collusion and Russian business deals, and it's very clear he's the, the, uh, the, the owner of the company testified for 10 hours in Congress, and they're trying to get those transcripts released. And even Republicans now are starting to say Orrin Hatch and Chuck Grassley are like, yeah, we could probably release those. That says to me they're ready to throw Donald Trump under the bus or off the train or whatever you want to say, but they're not willing to do it themselves still. They still don't have the spine to be responsible for it. So if they can allow a transcript to get out there and it destroys him, that would be okay with them. But they're not going to be the ones who say, yeah, this is enough. This is too much. So either that's going to happen or we'll go into the 2018 midterms election and Congress people will be running on impeachment and the removal of the president. uh, Or he'll quit. I don't know which is one of these things going to happen, but uh, he's not going to make it to 2020. So, coming up, the the lightning round, which will, again, brighten your hopes about America. There's some things that happened at the VMAs. I think we should talk a little about T-Swizzle, about Taylor Swift and what she did, because that's, like, such a big deal. It actually has some implications to our social growth. And a great story about Hellboy. 
and an actor standing up for what he believes to be right, which was quite a moment in our social discovery. I'm Jeff Stein, this is S.N. Erica Barristan, and this is Jeff. you just made me do my name is robert lee the fourth i'm a descendant of robert e lee the civil war general whose statue was at the center of violence in charlottesville we have made my ancestor an idol of white supremacy racism and hate as a pastor it is my moral duty to speak out against racism america's original sin Today, I call on all of us with privilege and power to answer God's call to confront racism and white supremacy head on. We can find inspiration in the Black Lives Matter movement, the women who marched in the Women's March in January, and especially Heather Heyer who died fighting for her beliefs in Charlottesville. That's uh, Robert Lee IV, as they said. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston, and this is Jeff's World. Uh, That's from the VMAs, the Video Music Awards, uh, on MTV. It's amazing, of course. That has always become more and more of a place for social commentary and discussion as much as to celebrate music. And so, and here here it is again. Outrolls him, uh, to introduce uh, Heather Heyer's mom, Susan Bro, I guess we should go ahead and just play that too, so then we can uh, have a, a sense of uh, the context of that because she came out and spoke as well. Thank you. I love you guys too. Only 15 days ago, my daughter Heather was killed as she protested racism. I miss her, but I know she's here tonight. I have been deeply moved to see people across the world, the whole world, find inspiration in her courage. Today, I'm announcing the launch of the Heather Heyer Foundation, a nonprofit organization that will provide scholarships to help more people join Heather's fight against hatred. I want people to know that Heather never marched alone. She was always joined by people from every race and every background in this country. In that spirit, MTV has decided to honor all six nominees for best fight against the system. Everyone gets an award. (laughs) Through their diversity, these six videos show there are many ways to take action and many battlegrounds in the fight for social good. Big Sean decried violence. Alessia Cara spoke out about body shaming. The Hamilton mixtape and John Legend both took on the targeting of immigrants. Logic and Damian Lamar Hudson celebrated diversity. Taboo and Shailene Woodley rebelled against government exploitation. I congratulate all these artists on their VMA tonight, and I look forward to the important work that they and all of you 
will do together to make the world a better, kinder place. Yeah. Again, see, I played that all, and I wanted to, I wanted to do the whole clip too because uh, for those of you who don't watch pop culture a lot. Uh, it's kind of coming become like the 60s again. It's amazing how many songs and topics are social commentary. This right. is what is going on, y'all, and we got to sing about it because it's messed up. And that's amazing. It's great. Uh, you know? I am just astounded by the grace of Heather Heyer's mother. Yeah. And she's, as we were taking, saying off the air, too, she's a great speaker. She was, uh, did a great job of waiting for the applause and this and that, considering, you know, this isn't her vocation to do that. But she is truly celebrating her child. Yes. Her daughter died. And that's the thing you lost on that. And she was able to rise. This is the speech the president should have given. Well, and I remember hearing her speech right after, and it was like, it's... I think her purpose is my child will not die in vain. Yeah. Yeah. And for her, that means, you know, uh, having a a, a more, uh, as she said, kind and loving and accepting and, uh, you know, world with equality. And it's things like this that make that happen. You know, again, talking about values. Well, these values are being stated and demonstrated. I think we could all understand if Heather Heyer's mother got up there and, and lost blasted <laughs> and blasted the Nazis. Right, right. And because, by the way, if you've seen the things that they've tweeted about Heather oh. Heyer, which I'm not going to repeat, no. But she could really focus on that, blast them for their hatred, yeah. for the guy who drove the car. Yeah, they essentially for, tried to out-victim her. You know. And say, well, we're the real victims, and Heather's the you know, all of like, that. And Oof. what she does is she focuses on this is what my daughter was working to achieve, and we're we're going to continue that work in her name, in her honor. Yeah, a different president would have been calling for uh, you know an acknowledgement, a monument, a statement of of her of the, of her being lost in a terrorist attack a domestic a terrorist attack That's exactly what this was you know because and, and and it's not even like different much because hello how many There's overseas different about no it. how many vehicles this the list has been the, the pattern of attack lately is to drive vehicles into crowds of people at Barcelona Paris that's been happening well, the only difference was is this person was white right yeah, a white Protestant Christian or whatever, mm-hmm. supposedly, yes, but it's no, but it's still a domestic terrorist. Yeah, and so that somehow, and if we don't see that, but I think we are, even if it takes the VMAs, you know, uh, to 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 show that, and that encourages me too because this is obviously what's going through the the psychology of the next generation that's coming up. Not to say there aren't people my age and older who like this music, because I do. <laughs> I like I like Alicia Cara, but uh, she, uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's it's in the new generation. It's fantastic to see them. Yeah, well, you it. see, you know, you see these, besides the very few independent news shows that we have, like Democracy Now!, you know, these comedy shows, yeah. these, uh, m- you know, music award shows, and they're doing the job what journalists are supposed to be doing. Yeah. They're picking up what they are not doing. What they can't do because they have to report on the stupid thing Donald Trump said, you know, and they get to come in and say, well, let's hear what Heather Heyer's mom said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's make that a thing instead of, and the, and the descendant of Robert E. Lee, who's now a pastor in North Carolina preaching love, 
mm-hmm. to everyone. Mm-hmm. It's saying, know? take it down. Take it down. So, yeah. And it didn't end there. At the VMAs, Pink, who won the Vanguard Award, mm. uh, uh, it's a great opportunity for folks like hers who, it's funny because she's like a veteran now. You know, young Pink, right. what's, she, what's she, not even 40 yet? I, I don't, don't even know. know if she's even 40 yet. Uh, love her. And this is a story she told. I think it's, I think it's worth, bears repeating. Um, recently, I was driving my daughter to school, and she said to me, out of the blue, Mama, say yes, baby. She said, I'm the ugliest girl I know. And I said, huh? And she was like, yeah, I look like a boy with long hair. And my brain went to, oh, my God, you're six. Why? Where is this coming from? Who said this? Can I kick a six-year-old's ass? Like, what? <laughs> but I didn't say anything, and instead I went home, and I made a PowerPoint presentation for her. Love her. And in that presentation were androgynous rock stars and artists that live their truth, are probably made fun of every day of their life, and carry on and wave their flag and inspire the rest of us. And these are artists like Michael Jackson and David Bowie and Freddie Mercury and Annie Lennox and Prince and Janis Joplin and George Michael, Elton John. Um, so many artists. There was, it was, her eyes glazed over. Um, <laughs> but then I said, you know, I really want to know why you feel this way about yourself. And she said, well, I look like a boy. And I said, well, what do you think I look like? And she said, well, you're beautiful. And I was like, well, thanks. <laughs> but I said, when people make fun of me, it's, that's what they use. They say that I look like a boy or I'm too masculine or I'm too, I have too many opinions. I, my body is too strong. And I said to her, I said, do you see me growing my hair? She said, no, mama. I said, do you see me changing my body? No, mama. Do you see me changing the way I present myself to the world? No, mama. Do you see me selling out arenas all over the world? Yes, mama. Okay. So, baby girl, we don't change. We take the gravel in the shell and we make a pearl. And we help other people to change so that they can see more kinds of beauty. And to all the artists here, I'm so inspired by all of you. Thank you for being your true selves and for lighting the way for us. I'm so inspired by you guys. There's so much rad happening right now in music. And keep doing it. Keep shining for the rest of us to see. And you, my darling girl, are beautiful. And I love you. Thank you, MTV. I agree, Pink. There is so much rad in the world. Mm. And there's so much rad in, in music coming out. I think out. the line that I'm most touched by what she said was when she said... We don't change, but we help others to change so that they can see more beauty in the world. That is so powerful. And for some reason, you know, you know, she's talking about physical looks in that moment. But, you know, think about all of our, you know, we're so lucky to live here in Los Angeles, but our gay and 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 lesbian and transgender and all the other letters in the alphabet that's in the lgbtq you know community you know wherever they are they are just different kinds of beauty and i hope that we continue to see that as as human beings and that it's not upon them to change it's upon us to be yeah. to open up to the beauty that's right there. Yeah. 
And we go back to the top of the show when I said, we're learning quicker. And this is evidence of that. You know, one of the most so. one of the most amazing things that happened when when uh, you know Trump tweeted out the transgender ban, and now I guess he's going to try to do it uh, where new people can't come in as transgender, and we'll we'll talk tackle that subject because it happens that probably won't go well. But one of the fascinating things that happened when I watched the right wing discussions is when they said, "Wait a minute, there's sixteen thousand or fifteen thousand transgenders in this military right now." That alone. I, I, the, what that did to them to make them go, oh, what, what the pause it gave? It was like the eternal damnation pause, where it was just like, how do I don't know, not sure how to reconcile that that there's already fifteen thousand or whatever it was in the military now, uh, you know, and it totally blows it open. And then to folks like this, make it even easier. Um, we're we're in a renaissance, baby, the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance in the history of mankind. I just want y'all to see it. It is happening, and it's happening sometimes. There happens with Taylor Swift. She's coming out. She comes out with her new song. You made me do. Or what? Look what you made me do. And if you haven't seen the song, you're the only one who hasn't seen the song because uh, because it broke every record imaginable as far as video viewings and uh, debuts. And if you don't know much about it, there you can actually go to like BuzzFeed and it will explain the song because it's a million references per second in that uh, thing. But she basically, uh, arguably, kind of victims a little bit and says, here's what all the other people, how the world sees me. I look forward to the rest of the songs on her album because I, I assume there will be a turn as well, not just a, hey, look at how much people treat me poorly mm-hmm. and how people misdiagnose everything about me. But I assume it will, you know, pivot to at least a shake it off kind of, you know, yeah. uh, awareness, but hopefully even further to because she's she's a very impactful person mm-hmm. in this world. And, I, and I, you know, and you can argue with her on whether or not you like her. That's that's your choice. But mm-hmm. um, but she's part of this social picture. And for 29 year old girl trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. I think she's doing pretty well. I know I wouldn't have said as bright of things at 29. Mm, yes. I think I would have fumbled it pretty bad. Right. <laughs> but that's just me. Uh, and then the other great story before we get out of here is um, Ed Scrain or Scrine. I've heard both dang pronunciations. This actor, I tried to go to the internet to get a conclusive one. Holly Reporter says Scrine, so I apologize, Ed. He left the movie Hellboy. And if you don't know this story... Hellboy, you know, if you're into that movie, it's it's a you know one of these Marvel DC type, you know, it's obviously a comic book stories, and there's one of the characters in there that he was cast for, which was kind of supposed to be uh, Asian or half Asian character, and he's not. He's you know whitish looking. He doesn't look half Asian, and that's the key part. And after the movies Ghost in the Shell and Doctor Strange, where key iconically Asian characters were cast with like Tilda Swinton and folks that were not Asian, there was a big backlash. It's like, well, what, what, what's going on? So what Ed Scrain did is that uh, he went ahead and wrote a, a letter to to the world. He, he tweeted out his his response to it, and he quit. He said last week it was my it was announced that I would be playing Major Ben Daimo Daimio I don't know the character's name I apologize in the upcoming Hellboy reboot I accepted the role unaware that the character in the original comics was of mixed Asian heritage there has been intense conversation and understandable upset since that announcement and I must do what I feel is right it is clear that representing this character in a culturally accurate way holds significance for people talk about sensitivity and that to neglect this responsibility would continue a worrying tendency to obscure ethnic minority stories and voices in the arts. Mm-hmm. I feel it is important to honor and respect that. 
Therefore, I have decided to step down so the role can be cast appropriately. Representation of ethnic diversity is important, especially to me, as I have a mixed heritage family. It is our responsibility to make moral decisions in difficult times and to give voice to inclusivity. It is my hope that one day these discussions will become less necessary and that we can help make equal representation in the arts a reality. I am sad to leave Hellboy, but if this decision brings us closer to that day, it is worth it. I hope it makes a difference. With love and hope, Ed. I know, I know. That is so beautifully articulated. Uh. That, but, but you uh, want to talk about a man uh, living in his values and uh, integrity. Uh, hey, wow, Congress, take a look. Yeah. What do they? What do they always say about these uh, Hollywood liberal actors? I mean, that's right. some beautiful. Talk about putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Walking the talk and the amount of, you know, money and (sighs) things that he gave up to be in his values, that's pretty intensely inspiring. Yeah. And of course we know the moment you do something like that, it ups his value. Because anybody else would go, Oh my God, what a gentleman. I want Mm. this guy. I want this guy. For sure. You know, and plus he's a cutie. Totally Yeah, he's totally adorable. Oh, my gosh. Uh, (laughs) No matter what his heritage is. Uh, So there it is. This is Jeff's World. Please uh, take the the note from Ed. (laughs) Take that lesson. Take this with you. Take it from Robert E. Lee IV that we heard from. Take it from Mattress Mac. Yes. You know, take it from the people saving bats (laughs) in Houston and ignore the other ones. I won't even mention their names. They're part of the past. This is part of the future. It's a pink future. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be cool. Thank you for listening. I'm Jeff Stein. She's Erica Ferriston. This has been Jeff's World. This has been Jeff's World, the social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein. <laughs>